What's up, folks? You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about this question that was sent in based on uh, another question that was asked, and it's about the idea of uh, drinking alcoholic beverage as a scruple. And I'll read the message, so just stick with us here a little bit. I'll give you a little bit of background about um, the original episode and stuff so you don't have to go over there and listen to that. Uh, I'm a little off my game. All right. Um, let me go in. Let me. Well, first off, let me figure out what I'm doing here. Now that I'm, I'm just fully shook. Uh, good to see everybody, by the way. Um, Scott Wall, Connie Barden, uh, Terry Purdy has got folks watching at his house. Uh, Gwen Cooper, Mercy, Jonathan Exum, Connie Barden, Shauna Lockney or or Lonky. And Scott Wall and says, uh, and Loretta Simon. So thank y'all and thank you for the encouragement. And I, you know, I know it probably looks good enough. You probably don't need to see me in too good a light anyway, but I've got one little, like a 60 watt bulb in this office right there. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, let me go here. I, I did a podcast. Let me open up my trusty, rusty sword. I did a podcast from first Timothy three, eight. Somebody asked me about, this idea of deacons. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. And the argument kind of goes, well, look, I understand that you can go to scriptures and, and, and make a case about um, Christians needing to be teetotalers. And the idea of a teetotaler is one who abstains from all alcohol, regardless of the amount. But you can't argue with this right here, that God is saying that a deacon, in order to be a deacon, it's not that you just have, you, you, it's, it's not that you um, must be not given to wine, but it's not given to much wine. Therefore, I can be given to a little wine and still be a deacon. So how do you square that with the admonition, Tony, that I hear often from you? And the affirmation that drinking alcoholic beverage for any other reason than medicine is actually sinful because God has decreed it as such. In other words, it's, it's, a, it's a violation of law. Whosoever sinneth transgresseth also the law, for sin is transgression of the law. Well, that's a good question. In the podcast, I covered this word uh, much. It's translated uh, several times, it's used several times in the New Testament, and I call it a an a collective adjective. It's like a collective modifier. It it describes it, it describes a unit. So you're not to be given to much wine. How much is much? So it's it's much is an idea of degrees. And the way the word is used, the Greek word, the way it's used, it covers from the first degree all the way to the nth degree. 
and you're not to be given to any amount of wine that puts you anywhere in that range of from one to the nth. Very simple. And I I really should have had the uh, podcast from the other day ready so I can link this. Well, here's the question. All right. Let me go over here to my Cogitations Facebook page, and I'm not going to mention this this brother's name, but he's a longtime listener, and he always sends me, when, when I say he always sends me, he sends me questions, and they're always good. Hi, Brother Tony. I listened to your recent podcast about giving too much wine and left a couple of comments on Podbean. Now, I have, just for the record, I have not as of yet seen those comments on Podbean. I'm sure you know that I appreciate your work, your love for the truth, and in particular, your logician's mind. And incidentally, from my perspective, that's very high praise. I couldn't, I couldn't ask f- for anybody to describe me in a more flattering way than to say that I have a logician's mind. Now, uh, you've taught a fair amount about scruples and how we need to be careful not to bind our scruples on other people. So when I read Romans 14, 21 and drinking wine is mentioned in the same way as eating meat as something the weak brother might unnecessarily avoid because of his own scruples, I get the clear impression that there is a level of alcohol consumption which is acceptable by God. Certainly, as the verse and its context teach, We ought not insist on our right to do something that could hurt someone's faith or cause them to violate their conscience. But how have you come to the conclusion, apart from the biases present in the church today, that the matter of mild alcohol consumption is one of commandment and not scruples, when Paul seems to be indicating otherwise here? Of course, my response, thank you for the comment. I brushed up against this in the episode. But I didn't give an explanation. I'll do a follow-up episode answering this. I will either do it tonight for cogitations on DBS, or I may do it for my Thursday live stream. Obviously, I decided to do it tonight. Now, let me get out of that so that's not taking up any more bandwidth on my computer. So the idea, and I hope I've got enough light that I can see. I'm going to use my new King James because it has larger print. Let's go to Romans chapter 14, and let's read this. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Now I'm going to go all the way down to verse 21. It is good neither to eat meat nor to drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he that does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. All right? So the idea there is pretty simple. If there's a situation or an issue an action that God has not legislated, all right? Then we have some freedom, okay? Evidently, drinking wine falls into this category. But what does that mean? Does that mean wine as in uh, drinking alcoholic 
beverage or does that mean wine as in drinking wine that is not alcoholic? Because remember, during the time in which the King James was written, which influences all the other uh, uh, translations and versions of the Bible, uh, in English that come after it, the word wine is used because in the 1500s, the 1600s, the word for grape juice was also wine. The Greek word oinos, it can mean what we call grape juice, and it can also mean actual table wine or an alcoholic wine that has been fermented in such a way that it has the absolute most alcoholic content that you can get. What is under consideration here with Paul? Well, I think before we answer that question, let me go, let me, let me make, let me make an observation first. Now I'm not going to be able to see your comments for a moment. All right. So the, the, usually, and this is in the past. So I'm going to give you an example here of how I've changed how I teach certain things. All right. Used to, I would go to Ephesians chapter five, verse 18 and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess be filled with the spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. If you want to live a spirit-filled life, you have to do these three things. You have to speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, you have to give thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. If you don't do these three things, then you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't live a spirit-filled life is the idea. But there's a fourth thing that you must do, but it's, 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 it's delivered in the negative. You need to be not drunk. All right. Well, what does be not drunk mean? Well, that Greek word, I'm going to butcher this, Mathutheski. I believe it's second person uh, plural indicative. Yeah. Anyway, or imperative. I'd have to go back and look. I cannot remember. In fact, well, I don't know why I'm, I can. I can actually find that out in just a moment. Let me go here to uh, my Bible translations, and I can do uh, Greek New Testament, Textus Receptus. Mathutheski is, it's a verb, present, passive, imperative, second person, plural, all right? It's a verb, it's present tense, it's passive, and it's imperative. And it's second person, plural. All right. Now, let me get back to the King James here. I forgot I had that little cheat. So, the word's Mathutheski. The word really shouldn't be translated drunk. Because, well, it should have been translated drunk because of what drunk meant and the usage of the word drunk during the time in which it was written. But nowadays, we have developed this new word for drunk. The word drunk here is used as a verb. It's a verb, be not drunk. It's just the past tense of drink. Again, 
I always illustrate this this way. This is water. Right now, I am not drunk with water. Now I am drunk with water. That's the language. That's, that's the grammar. That's how the language was used in the day in which it was written. That's, we, we use that now. It's just not as popular. Um, so I am drunk with water right now. Tomorrow I will be drunk with water when I drink water tomorrow is, is the idea. We use the word drunk when it comes to alcohol as the farthest degree of someone who has consumed intoxicant to the point where they are mentally impaired. In other words, they're falling down drunk, they're, they're slurring their speech, they can't walk a straight line. This, Paul is saying that we're not even supposed to drink wine, period, all right? So when I look at Romans 14, and it makes, it's, it's very clear that drinking wine is a scruple, a matter of judgment. Yet when I come here, drinking wine very clearly, it's a commandment to abstain from being intoxicated with wine then really I have my answer, all right? But let me finish the thought that I was doing. First off, I would used to come and be like, okay, so listen, that means it says be not drunk with wine. It really should be better translated intoxicated because after all, if I have one drop, if I ingest one drop of intoxicant or if I ingest one gallon of intoxicant, I am still intoxicated. And that's what the word mutheteski means. Intoxication. Be not intoxicated with wine. And I would leap from Ephesians 5.18 that says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I would go, see, that means you can't drink a beer. You know, a, a, a beer in the United States of America, I think, has like, something like 3% alcohol by volume, 3 or 4% by volume. Incidentally, Canadian beer is way stronger, like double double the potency. But not, not that I have experience with it. I just pride myself on knowing useless facts. Anyway, the point is, how do, how do we use this verse to say that you can't drink a beer with your buddies on a Saturday night? It, it's not the way we interpret any other passage of scripture because the rebuttal is like, if I, if I'm, if I'm out in public and I see you at the Mexican restaurant and you're enjoying a, a, a Bud Light with your fajitas and I say, Hey, how many of those have you had? Well, I've only had, this is it. I'm not going to have any more. It's just this one. Well, you know, Ephesians five eighteen, you're not supposed to be drunk with wine. So drinking that beer is a sin. What's the rebuttal? Uh, well, this isn't wine. Like this isn't even in wine's family. Nowhere ever in scripture would a beer ever be described as oinos. So how are you using Ephesians 5.18 to tell me I can't drink a beer? That's a good question. So I've stopped doing it. I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why we ever use this verse to say that you can't drink beer and whiskey. 
Now, does that mean that I think we can drink beer and whiskey? Well, God forbid. All right. Now, let me deal. Let me let me deal with that. Sounds oppositional. Let me let me address some of the comments here. Um, first off, I'm glad y'all tell me the light lighting is not that bad. I I, it, I think it's as good as it can possibly be. Um, yeah, Jonathan Exum, that's a good one. Uh, begin with the passages focusing on sobriety, um, which is what I'm going to do here in just a moment. But Deb Hibbert asked me, is it the beginning of the process of it? Deb, I have heard this argument so often. I think that argument sounds really, really, really good, but I think it is a specious argument. What does the word specious mean? Well, let, let's let's look it up. My trusty, rusty dictionary. My my not my e-sword. My Oxford English dictionary. Y'all, this lighting is messed up, and it's got me. It's got me messed up on all kinds of all kinds of levels. All right. Specious is an adjective. It means superficially plausible, but actually wrong. And I, I really think that this idea of Muthuteski or Mathusko indicating the beginning of the process, I think that's a specious argument. He, here's the way Strong talks about the word Mathusko or Muthuteski, especially in Ephesians 5.18. It's a verb of inception, meaning the point at which you drink, you can now be designated, described with the adjective of being drunk. And it gets back to this idea. Right now, I am not drunk with water, but the moment I drink water, I am now drunk with water. The moment it, it it's it happens it, it's it's the state of being that is described as drunken. The inception of that state of being coincides with the inception of the action. I am now drunk. All right, Henry. There's nothing I can do about the lighting. Uh, my 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 ring light. Either either the batteries in my remote control have burned out or my ring light has burned out. I hope I can just replace the batteries and we're fine. But anyway, um, so yeah, so that I don't, the, the way it's the way I've heard this, uh, with this, uh, beginning of the process is, well, let's say it takes 10 drinks to get you drunk. And Muthutheski is condemning the process of getting drunk. Well, how far back do you go? Because what is the process of the, what is the beginning of the process? Is the beginning of the process when when the alcohol when the wine passes my lips, or is the beginning of the process when I pick up the glass? Like for instance, I am currently not drunk with water. I'm holding my cup up. I'm currently not drunk with water. Now I'm going to begin the process of getting drunk with water. You see, I'm moving the cup closer to my mouth. That's beginning the process. But you see, until I drink, I am not drunk with the water. Now that I took a drink, I am drunk. 
And the reason that's called a verb of inception is now I'm, I have entered into, I have entered into a, entered into a state of being that is described as being drunk. And I entered into that state of being from the state of being not drunk. So I went from not drunk to drunk. The inception of that existence, the inception of that state of being is when I took a drink. So it's not that I began a process. It's not that the word is describing a process. The word is describing the line of demarcation between somebody who is drunk and somebody who is not drunk. And that's, that's whenever the action is, is performed. And man, I know that's, that's rough. It's hard to, that's a little abstract. We're not used to thinking that way. And, and I spent so much time on it, Deb, because, you know, you asked the question about beginning the process and I've heard that so so often. And the only, the only, the only, uh, scholarly source I've ever seen, um, I've ever seen, um, cited is a commentary and not a lexicon. I've, I've seen it. Um, so I've seen vines commentary cited and not a lexicon. So Strong's lexicon says that this verb in Ephesians 5.18 is a verb of inception. So Paul says, be not drunk. That's a state of being. Be drunk, not. Well, once you take a drink, you are no longer not drunk. You are drunk. So you have left the place where God approves, and you've entered into the place where God doesn't approve. You have left the approved state of being of not drunk, and you've entered into the state of being of drunk. All right. I know that's dry. I know that seems highbrow, and it's probably, it's certainly not easy to articulate to somebody who doesn't possess a, a proclivity for a certain way of thinking. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. But my point is, and the reason I brought this all up, there's nothing in Ephesians 5.18 about beer and whiskey. So why do we use Ephesians 5.18 as the cookie-cutter verse for uh, the position that Christians are to be teetotalers? I don't know. I used to all the time. Boy, I, I, was, I, I, was, I was right proud of myself. I was like little Jack Horner sat in the corner. I put, put, poked in my thumb and I pulled out a plum, and I was like, I'm just a good boy. But. I think if we look up in the New Testament, sober. Let's see. First Thessalonians 5, 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. First Thessalonians 5, 8. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for in helmet, the hope of salvation. First Timothy three, two, a bit. Well, that's a bishop. Never mind. All right. Forget that. Let's just focus on these two. This, these two will work. All right. Five, six and five, eight. First Thessalonians. All right. I'm going to back up to first Thessalonians five, five. Ye are all the children of light. And the children of the day, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. You cannot be a Christian and take action which associates you with the children of night and the dark. 
because of this, let us sleep. Let us not sleep, I should say. Boy, leaving a knot out or adding a knot really changes the changes the message, doesn't it? Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Now, if he just stopped there, we might have somewhat to, to discuss. What does the word sober mean? The word here is nepho, and it means to abstain from wine, keep sober. It's either figuratively or literally. To be sober is to be calm and collected in spirit. To be sober is to be temperate, dispassionate, circumspect. To be sober is not to have your brain addled with something that messes with its sobriety. The very word at its root. How how do you tell whether or not someone is sober? It's whenever they act like someone who has had their brain addled, their senses addled by alcoholic beverage. So Paul said, be sober. Well, how much can you drink and still be sober? You would be very, very surprised at, if surprised at exactly how little alcohol it takes to make a person less than sober. With one drink, with one swig, even of an American beer that's very weak, Science has proven that your inhibitions, the part of your brain that deals with long-term consequences and inhibitions, is dulled. With one drink, you are less than sober. You can no longer be described as someone who is sober. For For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. There that word is, sober. And it is in the context, folks, of those who are drunken versus those who are not. Those that drink are drunken and they're drunken in the night. We are not people of the night. We are people of the day and people of the day don't drink. They're sober. That's the context here. We put on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. So here, here we have in this one verse, in this one section of scripture, a commandment explicitly telling us to be sober and a commandment of prohibition explicitly forbidding being drunken. I say explicit. That may not be the right word. We, we are not to be children of the night and the children of the night are drunken. So we are not to be like them. That, that's the idea. Yeah. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, because they that sleep, they sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. And we're not supposed to be that way. If we're that way, we're in sin. So if this is the only passage of Scripture I had that dealt with drunkenness, that's all I would need. But in this passage of Scripture, we have, a, we have an explicit commandment to be sober, sober, and we have a prohibition against being drunken. 
And remember, this idea of being drunken, being drunken with what? Well, let's, the word drunken is methusko. It has to do with intoxication. How much intoxicant can you ingest before, or how much, how much intoxicant can you ingest before you are designated as one who is intoxicated? It doesn't matter the amount, does it? So you see, I can't have a beer with my Mexican food. I can't go to the Legion and throw back a shot on Memorial Day and toast my fallen comrades. Because I would be less than sober and I would be intoxicated because I've ingested toxin. And that's all I need. That to me, that's all I need. Period. Now let me go to let me go to my search here, and let's search D R U N K E N drunken. So we got. All right. So drunken, seven verses, eight matches, and it takes me right back to First Thessalonians. Let me look up the word drunk. I'm doing this on the fly because I, I like to show people behind the curtain. All right. So evidently, uh, the, the, the passage of scripture in first Thessalonians chapter five, that's enough. Don't be drunken and be sober. And that's all I need. Very interesting that. All right. That's a good question, Jonathan. Does coffee affect the brain too? If so, how would this not be like alcohol? I'm probably way off on this, but someone may use this argument. I believe drinking beer and such is a sin. Jonathan, I'm right there with you. And coffee, coffee is not psychoactive like beer and whiskey. Coffee is not psychoactive like alcohol. Coffee is different totally. Now, one could make a... One could make an argument that a Christian needs to leave coffee alone because it is a stimulant. But I don't I I wouldn't go to the passages of scripture that command sobriety. Because you can drink you can drink a gallon of coffee. You may die from the gallon of coffee, but you will never be less than sober. Um Oh, that's a good one. Connie Barden. Is there not a verse that says not having strong drink that would seem more than wine? That's a good one. Let me see. I, I don't, I, I, that's tickling my memory, but strong drink. Oh, okay. The, the only, the only phrase that comes up in the new Testament on the King James for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. This is, this is a good segue into the next part of the podcast, Connie. Notice here, John the Baptist. He's not going to drink wine, oinos. That's obviously non-alcoholic wine. Nor is he going to drink strong drink, which that would be alcoholic wine. Um inebriating, strong or inebriating drink. It's an intoxicant. 
Um, I wonder how many times. Yeah, this is only used one time in Scripture. Sikara. Uh, Sikara. And it's of Hebrew origin from uh, Shakar. Incidentally, there's there's two words in Hebrew, Yayin and Shakar. Shakar is strong drink. It's always toxic. It's always intoxicant. Yayin is the Hebrew equivalent of oinos. Yayin can mean either um, grape juice or it can mean fermented alcoholic beverage. Anyway, good stuff. All right. Now, where was I going? Oh, let's go back to Romans 14 because there is a differentiation between wine and strong drink and there's a difference there's a differentiation between wine alcoholic and wine non-alcoholic what we would call grape juice all right bear with me romans 14 what was that i think it was 21 yeah it's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine all right so the word here is oinos and the word for drink in Romans 14, 21 is not methuo or any form of it. It's pino, p-o, or po, p-o-o. Anyway, it's, it's translated 74 times, and here's the idea. It, it, it's talking about the ingestion, okay? Um, it has nothing to do with intoxicants. So there's nothing here that demands that the drinking of the wine here is intoxicating wine. In fact, this use of this verb for drink tells me that it is more than likely talking about non-alcoholic wine. And um, let me me do another. I'm going to do infirmities. Bear with me. I'm getting to a point, I promise. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine oft infirmities. That's Paul talking to Timothy. I don't think that Paul told Timothy to drink alcoholic wine, not for a minute. Not that it would have been a sinful for Timothy to drink alcoholic wine for medicinal purposes. I think Paul told Timothy to drink non-alcoholic wine because he was probably drinking water that was not clean. It was very hard to get clean water during this time. In fact, Jonathan brought up coffee. You ought to, you ought to watch a documentary on coffee and how coffee affected the world. Before coffee, especially in Europe and stuff, that there was the, the water was of terrible quality. People would drink alcohol, a lot of ale, a lot of fermented wines and stuff like that because the water was so bad, they'd get dysentery. But whenever, whenever they discovered coffee, what they would do is they would, they would, their, pro, their productivity would go up. The, the advent of coffee uh, ushered in the industrial age, the age of enlightenment, all that good stuff. People could work later. They, they, they didn't automatically have to uh, go to bed with the sun. They could actually stay up late. It's amazing what how, what coffee did to uh, advance the world in a technological way. Well, Timothy didn't have access to that, and they didn't have this understanding of boiling water and this, that, and the other. And 
you just you just drank you just drank wine. Given the prohibition of drinking alcoholic beverages for just consumption, it would appear that Timothy developed a scruple. And he was just drinking water, but it had ill effects on him. And it wouldn't have affected everybody the same. Some people it would affect worse than others. So Timothy was like, I'm not going to drink any any grape juice at all, whether it's fermented or unfermented. And he was having stomach problems. So Paul said, you drink no longer water only is the idea, but mix it with a little wine for your stomach's sake. Now, I, I just realized I, I'm, I'm, it's not lost on me that I just said, I don't think for a minute he was telling him to drink alcoholic wine. He could have been telling him to drink alcoholic wine by mixing alcoholic wine into water for its uh, alcoholic, uh, what, what is it? It's antiseptic qualities. It's germ-killing abilities. So you've got a gallon of water, put you a little bit of alcohol in it, and then drink it. Did you know that if you're caught in a survival situation and you're out in the woods, you can you can just dip water right out of the you can dip, dip a gallon of water out of a pond or something and just put a couple of drops of bleach in it and shake it up and it's it's fine. You you're not ingesting enough bleach to hurt you and um the bleach is has made that water drinkable. Well, you take a little bit of alcohol and you put it in water and that that will help if if you have a if you have an issue drinking the water for your stomach's sake. Now, what's that got to do with Romans fourteen? Well, let me go back to Romans fourteen. I'm going to back up here and read. Let's see. Yeah, right here, verse seventeen. Listen to the listen to how stout Paul writes this. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify one another, or edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God, all things indeed are pure. But if evil, for that man who eateth with offense, it is good then, it is good, neither to drink, neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Look, it is very possible whenever you look at the passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy and Titus about elders and deacons that elders are not supposed to even be by wine. It's paraoinos. Paraoinos. They're not supposed to even be associated with wine. Maybe they're supposed to abstain from drinking table wine, whether it's alcoholic or whether it's not. And then deacons are not held up to that high standard, and they can drink non-alcoholic, non-fermented wine, grape juice, just like Timothy had the freedom to do. And he should have done so he wouldn't have had so many stomach problems. 
But so desirous were these first century Christians to follow God's law down to the letter in keeping with the Spirit that some of them come to the conclusion that you cannot drink any kind of grape juice whatsoever. And some of them thought that, well, well, that's silly. You can drink grape juice. And they were having falling outs about it. And Paul said, don't do that. The kingdom is more than food and drink. Obviously, you can't be intoxicated with wine. So when I look at Romans 14, Ephesians 5, 18 says, be not intoxicated with wine. Therefore, if I have permission to drink wine and and, and, and implied permission to drink wine, as long as I'm not causing my brother to stumble, then it cannot be in contrast or, or in contradiction to Ephesians 5, 18, which is be not intoxicated with wine. Ergo, the wine here must be non-alcoholic wine. There were people who had scruples against drinking non-alcoholic wine. That is the only conclusion that I can come up with. That's it, period, boom, done. Help me out. Do you see it another way? Um, is Is there a blind spot that I have? Is there something that I haven't considered? Because I I think I teach this so much more full now. You know, you want to go out and have a beer with your Mexican food or, your, you know, your fajitas? You want to go out and have a beer with your chicken wings? Well, you're commanded to be sober, and you're also commanded to not be drunk, not be intoxicated. Well, when you drink, when you drink, you're intoxicated. When you consume toxin, you're intoxicated. So you've, you've thrown that out the window. It doesn't matter what it is. Well, what about drinking wine with my meal? The doctor says one glass of alcoholic wine in the evening with my meal helps my heart. Well, first off, science has also proven that one glass of grape juice does the same thing and you don't get the negative effects of the alcohol. But, even, but Paul specifically deals with alcoholic wine in Ephesians 5.18, where he says, be not intoxicated with wine. Wherein is excess? And, and dealing with that grammatically, be not eaten of cookies. Wherein is diabetes? That doesn't mean that you're going to be full-blown diabetic with one cookie. But that also means that you can't eat cookies. <laughs> anyway. Yep. And that's a good point, Jonathan. In in the in the times the in the time the Bible was written, uh, intoxicating wine was much less alcoholic than the wine we have today. And you know that comes up a lot. Well, can you use alcoholic wine for the Lord's Supper? Well, it means on what it, it depends on what you mean by alcoholic, and it may, depends on what you mean by wine. Or do you mean, can I run down here to the liquor store and get some wine that is like 40% by volume alcohol? No, no, you can't do that. Don't, don't insult my intelligence. But what if I'm in Nigeria or Kenya or Cameroon or, you know, some, I'm just thinking of some African countries and Saturday we press a bunch of fresh grapes and we put them in an earthen jar 
and we don't have any electricity and we don't have any refrigerator and we, and we seal that earthen jar with a wax plug, guess what? By the time it's served for the Lord's Supper the next day, it's going to be fermented a little bit. That means it's going to have a little bit of a bite to it. You going to go to hell for that? No, no, but that's, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. So any questions or anything? Um, let me go back and see if I've got. Let's see. Let me look at the comments. Yeah, Proverbs 20 and verse 1, Connie. Yeah, Jonathan gave that. And um, let's see. Jesus turned water into wine argument. There is the Jesus turned water into wine argument. Uh, listen, I'm going to tell you how I deal with that Jesus turning water into wine argument. I don't care if John chapter 2 said these words. And lo, Jesus turned 192 gallons of water into 192 gallons of 80-proof sour mash whiskey that would, that would have no bearing on whether or not Christians could consume beverage alcohol. Katie Smith says, in the show The Chosen recently, there was an episode with Jairus' daughter being ill because of unclean water. Uh, creative license taken, but interesting nonetheless. Absolutely, and it very well could have been why she was ill. And <laughs> Deborah says, I'm good with getting up and going down with the sun. Yeah, me too, but I'm mighty glad my ancestors in the past stayed up late and worked on stuff like running water and electricity and indoor plumbing and and insulation for the walls. Much of our medicines have alcohol in them. That is not a sin unless you are one of those who will drink a whole bottle of mouthwash just to get high. That's it. That's it. I remember Jonathan mentions NyQuil. I remember as a kid, uh, and I think NyQuil still has like 10% alcohol by volume, which is more than beer, by the way, in the United States. But I remember when I think uh, 25% alcohol by volume is what NyQuil used to be. Oh, good question, Connie. I, I said that. And I never did prove it or never did prove it. I never did support it. How do we know the wine in the Bible days wasn't as strong as the wine we have today? Can we know that? Yes, because they did not have the technology to ferment wine back then to be a strong alcoholic to be as to be as to have as much alcohol in it as we do today it would turn to vinegar first okay um we we the the slower the slower the process is the sweeter the taste and the more the alcohol so we really use modern technology to slow down that fermenting process you know, that's why you have, sometimes you have a, a, a bottle of wine that's 100 years old, and it's preserved. You have to lay it flat. You have to lay it in a, in a hermetically sealed environment, a, a, a climate-controlled environment. Hermetically? Hermetically? Whatever. I've lost the word. 
talking out of my rear here. But the point is this. If they try to use that long fermentation time back then, then they would end up with vinegar and they, they wouldn't have wine. And uh, I can't remember who it, who it was said now. It was a scholar from back in the day when talking about wine. The best wine was the wine that was not polluted with the spirit of alcohol. So in John, in John chapter 2, the best wine that served at the feast first is the wine with the least amount of alcohol because it tastes the sweetest. The more alcohol you get in it, the less desirable the taste is. Not so in modernity. Now we have this these ways of fermenting, and we can draw that process out, and we can add stuff to it. We can add sugars and yeast and this, that, and the other. And we can draw that process out and we can have a very, very, very good tasting product with a very high alcoholic content. Good lesson or good, um, good comment there from Scott wall. Uh, y'all, uh, it's, it's, it's a long comment, so I'm not going to read it out loud, but y'all, y'all need to read that was a good one. Um, Connie says, okay, good to know. I always wondered that. Good deal. That, uh, Connie, yes, uh, they made a lot of vinegar to use in their food. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> Jonathan says, I used to be afraid to eat food that was cooked with beer. Yeah, some people have a scruple against it. But the thing about it is, uh, when you cook it, you cook most of the alcohol out. And you're not, you're, you're, you're ingesting it, but it 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 interacts with the liver in such a way in, in a different way it hits different it hits your system different and uh, yeah good stuff yeah wd wd jeffcoat bible wines i think is the name of that book jonathan you're correct all right so i really hope that i've answered the question from romans 14 uh let me go back and read this let me go back and read this question just to make sure that I that I answered it um, somewhat well. I'm going to go back and read the question and make sure that I answered it. All right. You've taught a fair amount about scruples and how we need to be careful not to bind our scruples on other people. So when I read Romans 14, 21 and drinking wine is mentioned in the same way as eating meat as something with the weak brother might unnecessarily avoid because of his own scruples, I get the clear impression that there's a level of alcohol consumption, which is acceptable by God. Certainly as the verse and its context teach, we ought not to insist on a right to do something that would hurt someone's faith or cause them to violate their conscience. But how have you come to the conclusion, apart from the biases present in the church today, that the matter of mild alcohol consumption is one of the commandment is one of commandment and not of scruple? When Paul seems to be indicating otherwise here, absolutely. So two two part two part answer to that. Number one, I come to that conclusion that drinking mild amounts of alcoholic beverage is sinful because of the commandment to be sober and the commandment to not be intoxicated. It's unfortunate that the English 
translation is drunk because we typically think of someone who is drunk as someone who has not consumed a mild amount of alcohol. So when we, when we properly define those terms, a person who is drunken, who is intoxicated, I have, I have taken, I have ingested one, I've I've ingested a half an ounce of intoxicant. Therefore I'm intoxicated. I have, I have ingested a half an ounce of drink, quote unquote, therefore I am drunken. All right. So that for that reason that I have to draw the conclusion, especially with the prohibition against, uh, wine, be not intoxicated with wine. If the, if the explicit commandment for Christians is to be not intoxicated with wine, when I go to Romans 14, if we're talking about intoxicating wine there, then I've got a bona fide Bible contradiction. I've got one place that says it's a scruple, and I've got another place that says you, 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 cannot, you cannot simultaneously be, be filled with the Spirit and filled with, with, with the Spirit of alcohol. Incidentally, historically speaking, uh, you were not supposed to be filled with the Spirit of Dionysius. That's the that's the god of alcohol and debauchery. Uh, Bacchus is also how he is known. Uh, Bacchus debauchery, the god the, the god of wines, the god of alcoholic beverage is Bacchus. And the Ephesians, Paul said, "Hey, don't go to that temple. Don't be filled with the spirit of Bacchus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot simultaneously hold those two positions." They, they, they're not two positions that can be superimposed over one another. So that's how I've came, that's how I've come to the conclusion that Romans 14 is, it, that's how I can hold my position is Romans 14, even though it seems to be talking about alcoholic wine on the surface, when you scratch the surface a little bit, Paul is talking about non-alcoholic wine. And, uh, I hope, I hope I've answered that question. Um, I hope I've answered that question in a satisfactory way. Would the sour wine offered to Jesus on the cross be the same as vinegar? Scott, I'm very scared. I'm I'm going to trust y'all that y'all love me, and if I make a mistake, you won't hold it against me. But I think yes, that that it that it's it's vinegar that he was offered. It was wine that was turned so far that and and, and incidentally, vinegar is not alcoholic. The the more the more vinegary you the the the, the vinegar there, the reason it, the, again Google a documentary about what what is the mother of vinegar, and what is vinegar and what's its mother. It's amazing to see how vinegar's made. It's vinegar is made just like you would process wine grape juice, and then you just let it go a little farther. And this bacteria actually lives off of the alcohol. In, in order to get in order to get vinegar, you got to have you got to have alcoholic wine first, and then you let it keep aging. And this bacteria eats the alcohol, and you have this weird looking plug, and it that that's the mother of vinegar. And you can use that and put that into other vats of grape juice to make more vinegar. It's amazing how it works. But 
but yeah, that from my understanding, Scott, what Jesus was offered, the sour wine, that was wine that had gone so far fermented that it that it went past the point of alcohol uh, being alcoholic wine and just gone right to vinegar. And let me tell you something. I, I couldn't imagine being in Jesus' position and and have a sponge put up into my mouth and suck vinegar down my throat. I, I take when I when I get really bad indigestion, I'll take a shot of vinegar, buddy. It's rough. It clears my indigestion. There are people who can have a drink of wine or beer or whatever and not be impaired at all. So can we hold an absolute on the subject? Yes, because the word drunk, we have to use, we have to think of the word drunk as intoxicated. I cannot, I can measure drunk easy. The reason the King James translated Mathusko and Mathutheski as drunk and drunken and all that is because, well, again, pretend this is pretend this is wine. All right, this cup has wine in it. It really doesn't. It's it's got water in it. Right now, I am not drunk with wine. I just took a drink, so I am drunk with wine, and I am considered drunken. But I'm not slurring my speech. I can still walk a straight line. It doesn't matter. Even though I'm not impaired, I am still intoxicated because I have ingested toxin. That's how the Bible uses that term. So that's why we can we can hold an absolute on the subject. It's because when you when you consume the intoxicant, you are intoxicated, and there's a prohibition against intoxication. Scott Wall says, we are not to offend or cause anyone to stumble when we have to go to the store to buy any or all alcoholic drink. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. You got to be careful. You know, if you're going to make some, uh, if you're going to make some beer bread, or if you're going to make what we call drunken chickens, where you, uh, take a can of beer and you pour about half of it out and you put Worcestershire sauce and other herbs and spices in the beer and you shove it up the chickens behind and put it on the, on the smoker and smoke it. Boy, that's really, really good, but you got a you got a lot of explaining to do um, when you're a, when you're a gospel preacher and you go into a store buying a six pack. Yeah, yeah, right. That's right, preacher. You're you're buying that for drunken chicken. I got you. You're gonna make one chicken and drink five beers. What most people would think. So the best thing the the way I deal with that, I just don't mess with it. All right. Good day. Thank you, Scott Beck. I appreciate that. Scott says, thanks for the insight, brother. And, uh, yeah. All right. Well, listen, I, I really, really hope that I answered the question well. And if you've got any questions, if there's some blind spots that I'm just not seeing, shoot me a message. I'm open to discussing this. I've, I told you from the beginning of the of the show that my position on the, my position about whether or not drinking alcoholic beverage is sinful has not changed, but how I teach it has. And, uh, anyway, that's all I've got folks. This has been Tony Brewer with cogitations. Thank you so much. Y'all have tuned in with me for a solid hour while I've rambled on about this. Thank you so much. Be sure and subscribe to the cogitations podcast on Apple podcast, Spotify, tune in radio and Podbean. 
follow the Cogitations Facebook page, like and subscribe and follow everything that Digital Bible Study does. And if you want to support me as a podcaster, go to www.patreon.com forward slash near churches and maybe pray for my little light. Maybe pray that all it needs is batteries. I'm sitting there trying to turn it on again like something's changed. Anyway, God bless y'all. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. And uh, yeah, we'll catch y'all on the flip side.